You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Lee Wong. Well, a decade ago, while I was still a student at UTSA, sitting in my small apartment on the northwest side, I sat in front of my computer about to type words that would define the next few years of my life. Spread all across my desk were three semesters of notes that I had handwritten. And as I gathered my thoughts, I organized my thoughts in order to write my final research assignment of that semester. I leaned back in my chair and I began to reflect on my journey. You see, I had long struggled with absolute certainty in Jesus and even God for that matter. Some of you have heard this before. For my math and science mind, the proof for Jesus just never really added up. So in college, I set out to find answers. And for three semesters, I studied various world religions. Now, one of my professors was beyond brilliant. Now, this guy at the time was ranked among the top 10 professors in the entire nation. He loved to engage his students in heated debates, and he loved to expose their belief systems as flawed and lacking reason. And he challenged his students to not simply accept what they were taught as children, but to think for themselves and to construct their own system of beliefs. Well, I had done just that. Having learned what humans have believed all throughout history and having learned the reasons behind those beliefs, and some were really weird, I felt I finally had the burden of proof I needed to conclude what to believe and what to base my life upon. So, back in my apartment, as I prepared my final research assignment, I typed what I concluded. And here it is. I concluded, Jesus was a myth. God was a lie. Religious fairy tales invented to control people and to explain what primitive civilizations could not. And so there was no way I was going to base my life on these myths and religious fairy tales. And there was no way I was going to listen to the quacks who believed them. One thing I knew with absolute certainty was this. If I wanted to live a fulfilling life, I needed to be master of my own fate, ruler over my own universe. In other words, if I wanted to truly thrive, I had to live as my own God and King. You know, there's a growing movement that reinforces this idea, the new atheist movement. And its leaders emphasize that modern science can explain everything today with certainty. They argue that the absence of evidence for God in our world is evidence of God's absence. And so we each, you and I, have carte blanche to live our lives, our way, as our own gods and kings. Now, these are brilliant people. And so many would say that their argument is strong and compelling, and none of us want to base our lives on a lie. It's no wonder, studies show, that fewer and fewer of us will express an absolute certainty in Jesus. It's no wonder those same studies show that more and more of our friends and family members are unaffiliated with any religion whatsoever. It's no wonder they always decline your invitations to attend City Church West and 
Ignore your request to watch services online. It's no wonder when faced with a nauseating uncertainty, a plurality of us would rather exercise control over our lives than to exercise faith. And now it's not only agnostics and atheists that live as if Jesus was a lie as their own gods and kings. I mean, even followers of Jesus can do this. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about anyone here at City Church downtown. I'm talking about the folks at our other campuses, like our Bandera Road campus. Every time they dismiss Jesus' teachings that don't fit their agenda, it's like they're saying, no, I got this, I'm master of my fate, ruler of my own universe. But is this really working for any of us? Think about the irony here. I'm sure that there is some correlation in this. As a growing demographic chooses to believe that Jesus is a myth and a fairy tale, or at least live like he is, less people report feeling happy and optimistic. Mental disorders like depression continue to be leading causes of disability. There's an upward trend in suicides and suicide attempts. Murder rates in major cities have risen sharply. And the Washington Post recently reported that the U.S. is averaging one mass shooting per day. Despite more and more people around us living as their own gods, there's less and less order in our world. Despite all of our scientific advancements, despite all the knowledge that's, and information that's readily available to us today, it seems like there's a growing state of anarchy and unrest in our world, in our communities, in our lives. It feels like no one is in control. It's spiraling out of control, and you and I are merely surviving, living our lives our way is not working. It hasn't worked. It will not work. And I don't know about you. I do not want to live a life that does not work. I want to thrive. And the truth is, I want you and your children to thrive as well. And so, in order to truly thrive, maybe it's time we reconsider just Who is qualified to be God and King of our lives? And this being the church, right, the obvious here, maybe it's time we at least reconsider just who Jesus really is and why we should base our lives on his teachings. So why shouldn't we believe he's just another religious fairy tale? I mean, how can you and I know with absolute certainty that Jesus is qualified to be God and King of our lives? Well, these questions are exactly why a man named Matthew penned the first gospel of the Bible's New Testament. Now, Matthew wrote to his fellow Jews in the first century, living under the Roman Empire's heavy hand, and feeling like they were merely surviving, those Jews longed and were desperate for their Messiah, in other words, their king. And according to Jewish tradition, this Messiah, this king, would restore order and rest in their lives. And Matthew wrote his gospel to prove with absolute certainty that the only one qualified to fulfill that role had in fact arrived. And he hoped that his audience would yield their lives to that king in order that they might thrive. 
While recording one intense exchange, Matthew presented his case. Listen to what he recorded. Jesus stood before the governor, Pontius Pilate, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Matthew recorded this event to propose that Jesus was the Messiah, the qualified one. But what he proposed doesn't even matter to us if his gospel was a religious fairy tale, right? And how Jesus answered that question is meaningless. It's inconsequential if Jesus never even really existed as a man. And so it is fair for us to ask, why should we even believe this story is real? I mean, how can we know for certain that Jesus really walked this earth, that he existed? Well, in order to answer these questions well, we're going to spend the next few minutes in a theological crash course. We're going to look at the evidence to answer, was Jesus real? Now, this is a lot of information in a very short time, and it's 1.30, so I got the potential to put some of y'all to sleep, take a shot of caffeine right now if you have to or something, all right? And put on your thinking hats, because we're going to equip you to engage the conversations that you're already having with coworkers and with your children to answer these questions. So, you ready? All right. Perhaps the most significant evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible was recorded by Tacitus. Now, Tacitus was a historian and a senator of the Roman Empire. Most scholars today consider his work to be the most reliable source for the history of his era. His work was so influential, it has given birth to republicanism in our world today. Tacitus witnessed firsthand the exponential growth of Christianity in the first century. And he despised it so much, he punished everyone he found associated with this Christian movement. He was certain that Jesus was not qualified to be king. And so, role-playing here, all right? You're Tacitus. Let me ask you this. If you were anti-Christian, think about this for a second, and the greatest historian of the Roman Empire, what would you do? If Jesus did not exist, wouldn't you use your influence to debunk claims about Jesus? You most certainly would. But Tacitus did just the opposite. In his crowning achievement, the annals, he recorded, Christus, from whom the Christian movement had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, listen to this, Pontius Pilate. Sound familiar? And the most mischievous superstition again broke out, not only in Judea, but even in Rome. Now, Tacitus' account about Jesus sounds surprisingly similar to what we just read in Matthew's account. Why is that? Well, let's not answer that yet. Let's explore another historian. Enter Josephus. A first century scholar, Josephus is heralded by Jews as the greatest historian of his time. He lived in the same day and age as Jesus' known associates like Matthew. And so if anyone was ever in a position to sniff out whether or not Jesus was real, it would be this guy, Josephus. Now on top of that, he was part of the religious group, the Pharisees that hated the Christian movement. To them, it was blasphemous. And so again, we're going to role play here, all right? 
all of that considered, if you were Josephus, how would you use your platform as a credible historian? I mean, your credibility depends on this. If Jesus was merely a myth, wouldn't you write to prove that he was just an invention of crazy religious rebels? You most certainly would. But guess what? Tacitus didn't, or Josephus did it rather. He did just the opposite. Listen to what he recorded in his major work, Antiquities of the Jews. There was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. Tacitus and Josephus, both credible historians and anti-Christians, both affirmed what Matthew wrote about Jesus. But they're not the only ones. Lucian of Samosata wrote about a teacher who was crucified because he introduced a new religion. There's also Suetonius who recorded that the Jews were causing a ruckus in Rome because of some man named Jesus. Then there's Plinius Secundus, who explained that he had been killing men, women, and children that worshiped this man named Jesus as if he was a god. Altogether, at least 10 historically reliable sources affirmed Jesus' existence. Sources outside of the Bible. So even if we threw away the New Testament, even if the New Testament of the Bible did not, did not exist today, from those sources outside of the Bible alone, you and I could construct a narrative amazingly similar to what Matthew recorded. If we threw away the New Testament from those sources outside the Bible alone, you would still learn that Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, that he had a brother named James and he lived a virtuous life. From those sources outside of the Bible alone, you would still learn that he performed miracles and was regarded as the Messiah, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate on the eve of the Jewish Passover, and when he was crucified, darkness and an earthquake occurred. If we were to throw out the New Testament from those sources outside of the Bible alone, you would still learn that his followers believed he rose from the dead, and they willingly died for what they know happened. His crucifixion started a movement that spread rapidly throughout the ancient world. And if we threw out the New Testament from those sources outside of the Bible alone, you would still learn that Jesus' followers worshipped only him and denied all other gods. All of these facts were recorded by sources who personally rejected Jesus as Messiah, who were certain he was not qualified to be king. Now, this strongly suggests that the story of Jesus's life, as recorded in the New Testament, is reliable. In fact, the evidence for Jesus and the certainty of Matthew's work is so strong, Dr. John Dixon has audaciously challenged skeptics. So, Dr. Dixon is the senior research fellow for the Department of Ancient History at Macquarie University in Australia. It's regarded as one of the top research institutions in the world. 
Now, this guy is so convinced that Jesus existed and actually walked this earth. He's vowed the following, and I've paraphrased it a little bit. He said, I will eat a page of my Bible, starting in Matthew, if someone can find me just one full professor in an accredited university anywhere in the world who believes Jesus never existed. That was almost two years ago. And Dr. Dixon's Bible is still intact because no legitimate academic has rebutted. Here's the point. You and I can be absolutely certain that Jesus existed. He is real. And just like with Matthew's audience, whether or not Jesus is real is not the question of our day. Now, the question of our day is the same question that Matthew wrote his gospel to answer. It's the same question that Pontius Pilate was asking Jesus. Was he really the king of the Jews? The implications to that answer are huge. You see, according to the Holy Scriptures, the king that the Jews desperately sought was more than just a man. Because he was to reign over an eternal kingdom, the Messiah himself had to be eternal. He had to be an eternal being. And so if Jesus answered that question in the affirmative, and if his claims were true, it would have eternal ramifications for every single one of us. He would not only be claiming he was king, but he would be also claiming that he was God. Now listen to Jesus' response. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Jesus believed he alone was God and king. But we all know people, we all know people in our lives who believe the same thing about themselves, right? We all know someone who thinks they're God. And so the question for us is, how can we be certain that Jesus was in fact this Messiah? I mean, isn't it possible that Jesus was just this like deranged lunatic that pretended to be God and King? Well, the Old Testament of the Bible is a collection of books that was written over a 1500 year period. And it was completed 450 years before Jesus was born. And its teachings establish a solid description of the Messiah's credentials. So if Jesus was Messiah, the predictions recorded in the Old Testament would have to be true about him. For example, the prophet Jeremiah predicted the Messiah would be from King David's lineage. Guess what? Jesus is a descendant of King David. The prophet Micah predicted his birthplace to be Bethlehem. Guess where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. And a thousand years, a thousand years before the Roman Empire introduced crucifixion to the world, the psalmist predicted the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Now, how can anything be described a thousand years before anyone even knows it exists? The lineage from which he'd be born, where he'd be born, and the period of history in which he'd be born and killed are all beyond anyone's control. 
And yet Jesus fulfilled those very prophecies. Now, it could all be mere coincidence, so why does any of that matter? In their book, Science Speaks, Dr. Robert Newman, an astrophysicist from Cornell University, and mathematics professor Peter Stoner illustrated the following. Suppose you covered the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. You distinctly marked just one of those silver dollars. Then you stirred that entire mass of coins in the entire state of Texas to randomize everything. Next, you take a friend. Let's say Pastor Doug. And then you blindfold him. You then give Doug just one chance to walk all about the state of Texas blindfolded in the midst of all of those coins. You give him one chance to find that uniquely marked coin. Now, what chance would Doug have of picking up the marked coin? The odds of Doug picking up that uniquely marked coin are the same odds. Now, stick with me here, okay? They are the same odds that any one man over the last 3,000 years could fulfill just eight prophecies about the Messiah. That's a lot right there to digest, so let me restate that, all right? That is, the odds of eight Old Testament predictions about the Messiah coming true in any single one of us born in the last 3,000 years is one in 10 to the 17th power or one in 100 quadrillion. It's nearly impossible to fulfill eight prophecies. Well, Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't fulfill eight Old Testament prophecies. He fulfilled over 300, 29 in one day. Now, the odds of Jesus being God are astronomically in his favor. The fact is, even for the math and science mind like me, the proof does add up. Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the one true God. Jesus alone is God and king. And so what can you and I be absolutely certain about? I mean, what does this mean for any of us here today? It means you no longer have to live with the burden of being your own God and king. Jesus said he alone has all authority and power in heaven and on earth. It means there is hope for your depression, for your anxiety, for your suffering. There is hope for your future. Jesus said he will give you rest for your souls. It means you don't have to live a life unfulfilled, live a life where you feel like you're merely surviving. You can truly thrive. Jesus said he is always with you. And it means you can believe with absolute certainty that there is only one true God and King. You know, the years I was certain that Jesus was a myth were the darkest years of my life to date. Those of you who've been around for a while have heard that story. After several missteps, Several failed relationships and having fallen into a depression, I was forced to reconsider just who was qualified to rule over my life. I mean, living my life 
my way was not working. Well, about a year into my new search for answers, the girl I had the hots for invited me to her church. And I might have been living foolishly at the time, but I wasn't foolish enough to miss the chance to see her. And so I enjoyed my first date with my now wife, Christine, here at City Church. The band played REMs, Losing My Religion. The communicator of that day talked about why he believed in Jesus. And what dawned on me is that I had only ever been looking for the evidence of God's absence. I'd only ever been looking to disprove his existence. And I had never looked for the evidence of his existence or looking to prove that he was real. It was biased research. And this led me not only to discover all the burden of proof that we talked about today, but I also discovered that my world religions professor I mentioned earlier who taught me to think for myself is himself a fully devoted follower of Jesus. What I now realize is all along, God was wooing me with my uncertainty to discover Jesus the King for myself and to build a faith on an unshakable foundation that I might live it out even in the most uncertain of times. And maybe the same is true for you. Maybe God is using the unrest at work or at home and with your children in order to woo you. Maybe God is using the anxiety from the uncertainty in your marriage, the uncertainty after the divorce, the uncertainty in your health in order to draw you closer to him, in order that he might give you the rest your soul is desperately seeking. Maybe if you're weary, if you're tired of feeling unfulfilled, feeling like you're living a life of mere survival? Is it time you consider that Jesus beckons you to release control and to yield your life to the only one qualified to rule as God and King? You know, there is a king, a benevolent king, who doesn't dictate in order to take life from you, in order that you live an unfulfilled life, but he desires to give, desires to give you rest for your souls. He desires to give you a life beyond something you've ever imagined, a life where you shift from merely surviving truly thriving. And so here's what I want us to do in this moment as the band continues to play. Whether you've already believed in Jesus as your God and King, but you just haven't been living like Him. Or maybe you concluded what I concluded, that He was nothing more than just a religious fairy tale, a myth. But today you got the burden of proof you've been seeking you're ready to yield your life. I'm going to ask you to do something that requires a little bit of courage and a lot of humility. I'm going to ask that right where you are, 
if you are physically able to yield to the king as a symbolic expression by kneeling before him and just taking a kneel to say, Jesus, I believe that you alone are qualified to rule my life, that you alone are God and king and I yield my life to you to the best of my ability. So if that's something you're willing to do, I just ask that right now you join me taking a kneel. If you can't, you can just raise your hand as a symbolic expression. And let the lyrics to this next song be our declaration, our proclamation that the King is among us, that His glory surrounds us, that He is the King We are seeking his revival. The king is among us. His glory surrounds us. The fire is falling as we sing. The Savior is for us. His love is victorious. Revival is rising in His name. The King is among us. His glory surrounds us. His fire is falling as we see. The Savior is for us. Love is acknowledgement, Lord, we admit and believe that you are among us, that your glory surrounds us, God, 
And those of us who have taken a kneel or who have raised our hands, God, that is our expression that we are yielding our lives to you to the best of our ability. Lord, we're going to mess up, but it is our desire to submit control to you, to follow your teachings, God. And so we're just praying for direction. We're praying for guidance and strength, Lord. God, we're just asking for revival in our lives. That we would no longer feel like we're merely surviving. That we would truly thrive and be an example to all the world. That they may come to know you as well only one qualified to be God and King of our lives. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.